Welcome to North Point. We're glad you're here. Thanks for, thanks for coming. Thanks for settling in. Our, uh, some of our uh, most favorite volunteers on the planet right now are walking down with something we call a welcome book. And we'd love it if it's your first time or your thousandth time here. If you just take a second and put your info in there. And then as soon as they're done uh, with that, they'll come back through and collect this morning's uh, offering. Uh, so there you go. If we haven't met before, my name's Chris. Thanks for saying hi to me. And um, no, forget it, it's too late. You had your shot, it's over. So there you go. Um, and now we're old friends, all right? So that's, that's how we like to, to start, I guess, here. Um, I wanted to start by um, saying hi, but also showing a couple of pictures. Because where we're going to be this morning, the text that we're going to be in, uh, I cannot get to that text without showing a couple of pictures. And um, here they are. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's funny when I look at those pictures because I think, I think exactly what uh, Jason uh, Smith just said from the front. If you heard that, if you're in this area, we'll just let that sit. But I tend to think it more like, what were we, like babies or something? <laughs> right? I mean, my gosh, it, it looks like we're 12, but we're not from Arkansas. So I'm just kidding. If you're from Arkansas, I'm totally just kidding Alabama. Um, the, uh, we're, we're 21 in those pictures, but man, I look back at that and I think, man, we were young, right? And, and not only young, like, like looking, but man, we had like no clue, <laughs> like no clue what it meant to be married or organize a home or pay bills. We thought we had a clue. You guys, we're, we're kind of together on this, right? I don't know if you ever have a clue. Like, I don't know if you wait till you get married and, and you're in your 30s. Do you have more of a clue than you did in your 20s? <laughs> Graham says, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you, for whatever reason, end up having a second marriage, may, I don't know, maybe you have more of a clue uh, then. But I just know that we had, like, no clue. 21, we, we had some models of marriage around us. Uh, we were doing youth ministry at the time. We, we had parents. When I, we had models of marriage around us. We had pictures that we could look at, people that we could look at, some really good examples, some eh, not so good maybe. And it, what, was, what was most fascinating, at least during this season for me, was um, like everybody wanted to give us marriage advice. Is this just a thing that happens to youth pastors or is this normal for regular people? That's normal? That's so good. It makes me feel better about my life. Thank you for that. So, so these people came out of the woodwork to give us advice. And like some of them we didn't even know very well. <laughs> but they were going to give us like advice on how to make our marriage work. And some of the advice was um, a little too intimate for our level of relationship. <laughs> okay, we'll let that hang. Um, and and it, was, it, was, it was weird because some of the folks that were coming to give us advice on, uh, on how to have this healthy, happy, successful marriage, um, we were working with their kids in youth ministry. Yeah, uh-huh, the chuckle, right? Exactly. We, we kind of knew the stories. And we're like, I don't know if what, like that, it's great advice. <laughs> but dot, 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 right? 
And so it was just an interesting season of people giving us advice. And, and I remember this one guy, uh, a friend of mine, uh, his name is Jeff Barber. He gave me the one piece of advice that I remember uh, 20-something years later. He, he was a friend of mine. He was the children's ministries director at the church I was the uh, junior high youth pastor at. He was one of my mentors. We spent time together. And he said, uh, he came up to me and he said, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you how to have a happy marriage, a great, successful like victorious marriage. And I'm like, bring it on, Jeff. And he quoted a Bible verse to me. He said, Matthew 6, 19. Now, in first service, some people started writing that down. I can see that either your marriages are fantastic or you don't care. I'm going to tell you what it says. He says, Matthew 6, 19. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he looked me in the eye and he said, so Chris, spend your money on your wife. (laughs) And I'm in Bible school and I thought, Jeff, that's stretching the biblical text a little bit there. But his point is great marriage advice. Like where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, spend your money on your wife. And so for, you know, 22 years, I've been trying to figure out what, is that, what does that look like in the day-to-day? What does that look like every day to try to figure out how, how to put the, the, my treasure uh, into my best friend? And it's just been an interesting adventure. It, it's interesting that we start with that because this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. That's kind of where we want to um, uh, land and camp for a while. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 uh, says where Jesus just comes out and says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And, and so the title this morning, if you're looking on the North Point app, I mean, you already, you're already seeing the title. The, the title is uh, Materialism. And you're thinking, oh, good. <laughs> this is like a thing pastors love to talk about. It. See, I don't know if pastors are underpaid and so they love talking about materialism. Or This is something that, frankly, uh, Christians love picking on other Christians about. Materialism. Materialism. Like, like this concept, uh, uh, some have called it the great American pastime. Right? Uh, maybe it's been defined as the accumulation of money or stuff. The idea of always buying stuff, better stuff, more stuff. We know that the vast majority of the world lives on less than $5 a day, but you blow that on your morning coffee or a box of 22 ammo. So we say the word materialism and everybody begins to cringe. We're in this series right now called Heart Attack. Heart attack because Jesus is after our hearts. We've got all this medical stuff set up over here. Some of it's terrifying and disgusting and I don't want to look at it. But, but uh, this idea of, of Jesus is after our hearts. And, and so some weeks ago we started by saying that he's after an angry heart because it wasn't a murder issue. Or we talked about a lustful heart because it wasn't an adultery issue. Or a hard heart, because it really wasn't a divorce issue. A lying heart, because it wasn't really a loophole to promises made issue. A self-centered heart, because it wasn't a giving of money issue. Or a hypocritical heart, because it wasn't a praying or fasting issue. It was all about the heart. It's all about the heart. And when we talk about materialism, that word pops up, and I, I honestly, when I saw it, I'm like, I don't want to talk on that, because isn't, aren't I just expected to say... Uh, you have two boats, you shouldn't have two boats, you own six handguns, who needs six handguns? You have a house with five bedrooms and three people, who should have a house with five? 
Because that's sometimes what we think of with materialism. But what if I say this? What if I say that isn't the problem? That making a heap of money and spending it on nice things is not a problem. I want to let that sit for like an hour. Does that make you, I don't know, does that make you uncomfortable? You're like, wait a minute, that's not what you're supposed to say up there. Or maybe it makes you feel uh, incredibly relieved. You're like, oh, good, Chris isn't going to lay the guilt on. Thank God someone else isn't preaching this sermon. I don't know. What if we say making a heap of money and spending it on nice things is not the problem? See, here's, here's a statement. Jesus didn't condemn those who had money. He condemned those whose money had them. Did you hear that? Jesus didn't condemn those who had money. He condemned those whose money had them. See, I I don't think Jesus was a socialist. That's going to blow up some life groups later today. (laughs) That statement right there. He, he, He didn't tell everybody to sell everything they have and give it away. Some of the Bible scholars in the room are like, wait a minute, didn't he tell that young guy to sell everything and give it to the poor? And the answer is, yep. And the question is, like, like, why did Jesus say that to that guy? And how often did Jesus say that to people? And, and who did he say it to if he said it when he said it? And I'll leave all those questions hanging there. We we're not even talking about that this morning. This whole idea of materialism or having nice things or even having lots of nice things. See, I think, I think this is a heart issue. And the question that I want us to dig at somehow this morning is, is what's going on in the heart? And before we get into Matthew, I want to start with a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12. So if you have the North Point app or if you have a Bible, the verses will be up on screen as well. Jesus told this, this story, a quick little story, uh, as Jesus is trying to express uh, some, some thoughts and ideas, something super important. He, he packages into this simple story in, in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is talking with some people. Some of his guys are there. Some other people, I think, are, are listening in. And Jesus tells this story. This is what he says in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. Jesus says, it says, and then Jesus told them this parable. Simple story with a great point. It says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Pause. Right there. Sometimes a challenge for folks who have been in church for a long time and maybe have heard these stories before is that we jump right to the end. Like, like we get to the answer. We want to know the answer. But the journey very often is so important. I don't want us to miss the journey here. The story is simple. Jesus' listeners would have understood to some extent what's going on. A guy has an abundant amount of crops that harvest one year and he doesn't have anywhere to put them. And he's up against a problem. Now, he had some options. You're thinking about them right now, right? If I had a bunch of extra, what would I do with it? And so one option for this guy could have been to uh, give it away, I suppose. Take what you need and and give the rest away. That's generous. We might call that uh, altruism. 
it, it could be that the guy uh, would have said, um, heck no, I'm not giving that away. That's my stuff. That's my grain. And so he could have like piled that together and, and baked the world's biggest cake and made the world's richest beer and invited him and a couple of his closest friends for cake and beer. I don't even know if that's good, by the way, but I'm just saying. And, and had this massive, where he just consumed it over the course of a, I don't know, a weekend or a, a four-day episode or whatever. He could have just consumed it all, right? He has all this extra. He's just going to consume it until he pops. You might call that hedonism. It's an option, right? Uh, he had uh, another option in, in my head, and maybe it's the best option. I, I don't know. But, but he could have taken what he needed and then taken all the extra and went and sold it, right? Good businessman. These aren't negative. I'm just, these are some options in my head. Good businessman would have sold that extra, right? Made a few bucks, put those bucks, uh, buying more land, buying another house, buying some building, renting property. I don't know. Make that money work for him somehow, right? Could have sold it. Matter of fact, some options in selling it. I was thinking about it this morning. I was brushing my teeth. I was like, on one side of the scale, he could have sold it for under market price since he didn't really need to make a bunch of money on it, putting out every other grain seller, like running them out of business and having the monopoly on grain sales for the next 10 years. That's capitalism. I mean, maybe we call it that. Or if maybe he wasn't so... um, I don't know what word to put in there, mean or whatever. Uh, maybe he could, we just sold it at market price, made a grip of money, and then used that money to work for him somehow. Capitalism. He had options, right? You're probably thinking of other options, never the things he could have done with it that make a lot of sense. Smart people sitting here, we're getting a chance to just process this journey a little bit in this story that Jesus tells. He doesn't do those things. In verse 18, it tells us what he does. And I don't get it. Verse 18, Jesus says, And then he said to this guy who's thinking to himself, I got this extra. What am I going to do with it? It won't even fit in my, my barns because I don't have any place to store it. So then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and be, build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grains. Isn't that, isn't that weird to anybody else? He's going to store it. So he's going to tear down the barns because all the surplus grain doesn't fit in the barns that he has. He's going to tear down the barns and build bigger ones so that he can store it. I'm not a farmer. I don't know much about grain. I, doesn't grain go bad at some point? <laughs> I think, right? I, I would be worried about that. He's going to store it. Like, like, what are you going to do with this tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of excess grain that's so much you're never going to use? Like, what's the point of storing it? I want to hang here for a minute. Because there's something in this. And I don't have an answer, so I'm not coming with an answer. I just want us to churn over this. Why that? Why store it? So many other good options that make so much sense. His choice is to build bigger barns so he can store it. So every day when he gets his morning coffee, he can kick back at the table and drink his coffee and read his paper and look upon his vast, gigantic barns full of grain. I don't get it. It just, it just seems so weird to me. Way better options. He doesn't take them. He just stores the stuff. We want to sit and churn on this because I think it's starting to reveal. I think Jesus in telling this little story is starting to reveal that there is something wrong with this guy. Like there's something broken in him. 
There's something kind of tweaked. Like, why does he store it? Why is that the solution that he says, aha, I know what I'll do. Whoo, I'm glad I figured this out. I'm just going to store it. Is it a lack of knowing God? He says, if I don't look out for myself, no one will. I don't, I don't know. Is it a lack of trust in the God that he did know? God's not going to provide for me. I've got to provide for myself. But neither of those really make sense because the storing it doesn't seem to answer that. Maybe it's a lack of security in general, like the economy could bottom out at any point in time and I don't want to own a bunch of Jewish shekels because I don't know, right? Some monetary concern of, of, of the economy of security that he has. Or maybe it's a general sense of paranoia. Like if people find out what I have, they're going to come after me. They're going to hurt me or they're going to become my friends so they can have my stuff. I, I don't know, there's something going on in this guy. And instead of doing something that would make sense to us with all this surplus, he just stores it. Jesus doesn't give us the psychological analysis of why he, he does this, but we do see, I think, something is broken in this guy who forever more will be named a bigger barn boy. Because <laughs> that's what he does. He builds the bigger barn. And somehow that brings him this sense of, I don't know, satisfaction or content or hope. Or, uh, somehow he feels better simply by storing the excess. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 20, and as often Jesus does, he puts in the Jesus twist to the story, right? Catches his, his readers, uh, his listeners a bit off guard, catches hopefully us a little bit off guard. And in verse 20, um, uh, I'm sorry, verse 19, he says this. He, he says, uh, and I'll say to myself, this is the bigger barn boy who's speaking because he's just figured out what he's going to do with all this extra green. He says, and I'll say to myself, now you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. Maybe that gives us a little more snapshot into what's going on inside of this guy. Maybe it would sound like phrases like, I deserve an easy life. Eat, drink, be merry. Right? Maybe it would sound like, life is supposed to get easier as I get older. <laughs> that mentality that says, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt to prove it, I'm just gonna. Maybe it's, Sounds like, I just want plenty. Maybe for him, there was something so broken in him that literally him looking at this gigantic barn full of grain that he could never, ever use, and it's really not doing anything for him, brought him some sense of, I have plenty, whatever that means. Verse 20, we get to the Jesus twist. Verse 20, Jesus twists the story. It says this, but God said to bigger barn boy, you idiot, I know it says full probably in your versions because sometimes the translations in English, we like to sanitize it so it doesn't seem so harsh. But, but the word full literally means you stupid person, right? You idiot. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Dude dies. Bigger barn boy dies. And the question that's there is, so what's the legacy that he leaves? Is it one of generosity? Nope. Is it one of good business savvy? Nope. Is it one of care or compassion? Nope. Nope. It's not even like nicest barn on the block. See, it doesn't say that he built a nicer barn. Like, like he ripped down his barns and he built barns that were completely controlled automatedly by robots who would serve him every day. And it was air-conditioned cool and it was a fantastic. It was also a bunker in case nuclear holocaust ever fell out. It doesn't even talk about a nicer barn or a prettier barn. It's just a bigger one. 
So he's not even known as having the nicest barn on the block. He's just known as being bigger barn boy. And in verse 21, Jesus finishes this section of the, of the parable. He goes on to make some points, great reading later. But in verse 21, Jesus says, And this is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Doesn't that sound familiar, like almost where we started? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are right now. And I want to read again verse 19, where Jesus begins uh, his, his thoughts on this idea that, that we call uh, materialism. But maybe, maybe I would term it differently today. I'd call it storing, uh, storing treasure on earth-itis. Because <laughs> we had itis to all things that are diseases, right? Storing treasure on earth-itis in Matthew six nineteen. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So maybe stuff isn't really the problem. Having stuff, having nice stuff, having lots of nice stuff, that's not The issue, because the issue is something that's going on in the heart. It's something deeper. It's something that causes bigger barn boy to just store his stuff. Maybe the question is, what's in the heart that's causing that? And in verse 22, Jesus seems to go on, and and, and I think he unpacks that a little bit for us, and it'll kind of shape most of what we talk about this morning. In verse 22 in Matthew 6, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Eyes, lamps, healthy. Uh, eyes in Jewish culture, the eye, especially in literature when it talked about, the eye was, the, was this um, assumption, this concept. They thought the eyes had like this, this really tight connection to the inside of a person. Like the eyes somehow uh, were a direct uh, link to the soul or the inside or the, who that person was. And we have this in English too. Right? We have this in our culture. We use the phrase, um, the eyes are the windows to the soul, right? Or if you need to have a conversation with someone that may not be super pleasant, we say like, hey, I want to sit and talk eyeball to eyeball, Right? Because we kind of have this same concept that somehow the eyes have this, this window to the soul, this, this immediate connection to what's going on inside of a person. Eyes. And lamps. Lamps in Jewish culture, the literal word here is a light or candle. Right? So the, the eye is the light. The eye is the candle of the body. And, and lights and candles are really focusing devices. I know sometimes we think of lights, we go, oh, they light up a room. But really, they're focusing devices. Like, like if I took a flashlight and shined it on someone, it would be to focus everybody's attention on that, right? Make sense? Like a spotlight, that's what, it, that's what it does. If we turned off all the lights in this room right now, and I turned on the light on my phone camera, like all your eyes would be drawn to it. Even if I made it to the back corner back there and turned it on back there, like you would naturally be drawn that way because light is a focusing tool. And so if we take these word pictures and we put them together, what's really being said is this right here. What, uh, if what you focus on is healthy, then your soul, your whole you, your insides will be healthy. But if what you focus on is unhealthy, 
then, the, then, then you, your soul, the, the who you are will also be unhealthy. Healthy, unhealthy. In the text there, if you have NIV, it, it does a really, our friends at NIV do a great thing by putting a little footnote up there. It's like a little number or a little letter or something you're supposed to look at the bottom of your Bible in that print that nobody can read because it's so stinking small. We left it in the app because I wanted you to see it. But it, it says that that word healthy, if your eye if your eyes are healthy, if your eyes are focused on healthy, healthy has this connotation to it of not just like, oh, I'm healthy, but being generous, like generous. That word healthy really has the meaning generous. And I don't mean like, like you give away money or you give away a lot of stuff. Generous is this idea of full, uh, wide, overflowing, vast, abundant. It's the picture of when you go through the cafeteria line and the, and the lunch lady or lunch guy slaps on a huge mound of mashed potatoes. Boom. And it's abundant amount of mashed potatoes, right? On Thanksgiving, you eat an abundant amount of uh, candied yams or whatever. Abundance is like this, this generous means like abundance, like this huge overflowing amount. So if, if your eyes are focused on, and unhealthy has the opposite meaning. It really means like stingy. It has this connotation of stingy, like small, squinted, minimal, dark, incomplete, Take all these pictures together, and this might be how it would be written. If your focus is right, if it's on the right things, then it doesn't matter how many millions of dollars you have, nor how many nice things, because that's not the focus. In the same way, if your focus is wrong, if it's stingy, small, critical, negative, dark, it won't ever matter how many dollars you have, nor how many nice things you have. You will always hate life, because it's all about the focus where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you focus on, there your heart will be also. Continue on as Jesus is talking. He gets to verse 24 and he kind of caps up this idea. He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either they'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus like finishes with this incredible challenge saying you cannot be focused on two things at the same time. What's your focus? What are you driven towards? What's your treasure? Uh, it's interesting because there's a guy named Paul. Paul uh, became a Christ follower late in life. He wrote a lot of the letters that we have in our New, New Testament, the second half of the Bible we call New Testament. He wrote a number of those. And, and one of the ones that he wrote, a letter to the church in uh, Philippi, um, is recorded for us in the book of Philippians. And, and Paul uh, has this relationship with this church. They loved him. He loved uh, them. They heard that Paul was going through some stuff, and they wanted to figure out how they could help Paul. And Paul had this idea, storing treasure on earth-itis, like he had this figured out, this focus concept, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If your eyes are focused on healthy, then your whole soul will be healthy. Paul had this, I think, kind of figured out, because in chapter 4 of Philippians, in verse 10, he says this to this church. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. And indeed, you were concerned, but you've had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, Christ, who gives me strength. 
Paul had this figured out. He knew what it was like to have plenty, and he was content. He knew what it was like to have little, and he was content. For Paul, storing treasure on earth-itis, or we call it materialism, wasn't the issue because it wasn't the focus. And so the question then that begs from us is, what's your focus? What's your focus? What do you lay awake thinking about at night? What keeps you up at night? Why? What do you treasure? See, I think the thing you treasure is the thing you focus on. Or or put another way, the things that you focus on, that's the thing you treasure. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, I ask the question, what's your focus? What do you treasure? What do you find yourself ranting about on Facebook, Twitter, social media? It probably reflects what you treasure. Is it security? Is it safety? Is it what's fair? Is it an easy life, an easy older life? Is it simply having plenty? those who don't? Is it a fun life? Is it all about hard work? I I don't know. Maybe those things were bigger barn boys' treasures as well. Maybe those were the things that were his focus, and he died stingy and small. See, for for 22 years, I've been trying to write the story of what I treasure in my marriage. And I don't know. I don't know how often I've been successful and how often I've failed at that. For 18 and 16 years, I've been writing the story of what I treasure in my daughter's lives. I don't know. What story am I writing there? For 43 years, I've been writing the story of what I treasure in life, what my life focus is going to be. And again, that big question is like, what story am I telling? Last week, we gave out, started giving out these journals. There's, there's more to give out today if you didn't get a chance to get one. And, it, and it's, it's interesting. It said, impacting 50,000 people in five years with the grace of Jesus. We feel that's what God is calling us as a church to. And if you open the journals, there's this weird thing. They're totally blank. They don't even have lines on them. Uh, some people are thinking, you guys are just too lazy to print lines. Or you should fire your print. No. See, there's, there's no lines here because we don't know what story God is writing in you. Oh, but man, we want to know. We want to help. We want to help figure that out. And, and maybe the story God is, in, is writing in you requires words that you write down. Or maybe it's pictures that you're drawing. Or maybe it's snapshots of your life. You're going to take pictures and print them out and then paste them in these pages. We just, we just are so excited about what story is God telling in your life These journals are all about helping figure that out. We're doing something starting this week and continuing on for the next couple of months that we're so excited about because we think there's a question that's left of, well, how do I know what story I'm telling? How do I figure that out? How do I know what I treasure? Where is my heart? So we're going to go through a series starting April 23rd called More. And you've heard us talk a little about it. You've seen it on the, the website. You're seeing some banners starting to pop up. We're going through a series called More. And it's not about more stuff. And it's not about doing more. Good night. We have plenty to do, right? And it's not about having more people in your life or more friends or more Jesus stuff. It's not. It's simply about asking the question like, isn't there more for life? Shouldn't it be more than this? 
In John 10, 10, uh, Jesus says that I've come to give life and give it abundantly. That's, that's more. Is that the life you're living? Is that the story you're telling, this abundant life? And so starting April 23rd, week after Easter, we're going to launch into an eight-week series called More, which is designed to help, to help Chris Carter figure out what God has called Chris Carter to. Like God has called me to be this 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 disciple of him, but what does it look like for Chris to be a unique disciple of, of Christ with all the wiring and weirdness and whatever you think of me, all that stuff God has put into me, what does that look like? What story does that tell? And who does it tell that story to? Three components to more. One is Sunday mornings. You're going to hear it preached for eight weeks from Sunday mornings. We're going to talk about this concept of more. And life is designed maybe for more, for abundance. And it's all about figuring out my unique, not my, you guys don't want to be like me. That would be a nightmare if we have two of me running around. It's scary. But figure out you, your unique calling, your unique wiring. How how did God create Chris Dinsdale to be a a disciple of Christ? And what does that look like? What story is he telling in the places that he goes? Uh, God has created Amy Beltran to be a particular kind of person and tell a unique story in the place that God sends her to. Does this make sense? Three components to this. One is Sunday morning. We're going to be preaching it for eight weeks. It's going to be a great time. Second component, you heard Rick talk about it this morning, is we're selling books called More. More was written by a guy named Todd Wilson who did some great work on how to help us, me, you, figure out how to know this. Some assessments, some work with scriptures, some grappling over some words. The book, it's an easy read. It's not high-level stuff. We're selling those in an area called The Hub. The Hub is really the connecting point between the kids' wing and then the the main auditorium wing. If you just hang a left and you go out the doors, you'll see it down there. The green banners that are obnoxiously green, Happy St. Patrick's Day, are out there. You'll see it. You can't miss it. The color is uh, uh, wonderfully atrocious. But uh, the idea of selling it, we want you to read this book. Man, because I, we think that it's going to help shape the what does the story look like impacting 50,000 people in five years. Man, my hope is when you hear that number, you're like, I can't do that. No. So what does it look like for Norm Holm, unique disciple that God has created Norm to be? What does that look like for him to be part of that and in that and do that? So three components, Sunday mornings we'll preach it, the book we want you to read. But man, if, if you decide you're going to take this journey all by yourself and you're just going to figure out you with you and nobody else, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> and I can't figure out me. I need some people to help me think through and I need to hear how they're processing it so I can be like, they're crazy, I'm not doing it that way. Or that's a great way, I want to go. So we want to plug into groups. So life groups are going to be going through this concept of more. There's some workbooks that they're going to be working through and helping each other think, going through assessments and and, and wrestling with words and verses and all that kind of stuff. And, And if you're not in a life group yet, not a problem. We're going to create five more groups just for you guys who aren't in life groups yet. You're newer to North Point, you don't like people, whatever it might be, that's what we love you we're creating groups eight weeks that's it just eight weeks plug in you'll have this conversation in some groups because we think that like other people are god's plan a for us like it, it's going to happen best in the context of relationships not simply because we need another series to do or we didn't know what to do or we're, but, but we want to help us tell this great healthy story one that's generous abundant overflowing full of life so much better simply bigger barns a life that's so much more see uh, jesus doesn't want your stuff jesus has plenty of stuff and i don't think jesus necessarily wants your money jesus has access to all kinds of 
money. See, Jesus wants your heart. And with your heart, maybe comes stuff and money. I, I don't know. You figure it out with Jesus. But Jesus wants our heart because we have a heart problem. So as we finish this morning, we're going to sing a last song. And as we sing that song, I just, I just encourage us to begin to, to process these questions. Three, three questions we've been asking all morning come back to over and over again. What's your focus? What do you treasure? And what story are you telling? Because we have great stories to tell because we know Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.